Voting is complicated, especially for college students who are often first-time voters or have just moved to a new county or state. Voting during a pandemic is even more complicated. I'm Sonia Rao, the Sedin State Editor for The Daily Tar Heel. Welcome to Before You Vote, where we'll be breaking down what you need to know about voting every Tuesday until Election Day. This podcast is sponsored by Vote America. Reminder, Election Day is November 3rd. As a North Carolina student, you can register now using your campus or home address. You can vote early, you can vote by mail, or you can vote in person on Election Day. Make your plan at voteamerica.com students. As the election approaches, there's been some misinformation and disinformation circulating online. I talked to UNC professor Dean Freelon about what misinformation and disinformation is and what they could mean for the election. My name is Dean Freelon. I'm an associate professor in the Husband School of Journalism and Media. And lately I've been doing research on disinformation, non-factual beliefs on social media, and computational research, which means that I do a lot of my work writing code and computer scripts to process very large amounts of digital and often social media data. Freeland said misinformation and disinformation are forms of false information. Mis and disinformation are both types of claims that have no factual basis or in which there is some aspect of it that if you knew the whole story, you would interpret differently. So, you know, whether that's the idea that, you know, vaccines cause autism or that COVID-19 was all planned out and is a bioweapon or whatever. But what's the difference between the two? The difference between misinformation and disinformation has to do with the relationship between the claim itself and who is spreading it. So for disinformation, the person spreading it knows that it is false and deceptive. So it's spread with a very specific purpose to damage or harm others or also possibly for profit. And so That is where disinformation differs from misinformation, which is a situation in which the person spreading it does not know that it's false. They actually believe it. And so it's not necessarily spread with an intention to harm people, but it is harmful nonetheless, or it can be. But the person who's trying to spread it believes that it's true and they're trying to educate folks, but they're trying to do so with uh, content that is not true and therefore uh, is inadvertently creating damage by doing that. Freeland said when it comes to disinformation, some groups are more heavily targeted than others. In the studies that I've conducted, the identities that are targeted most are white conservatives and left-leaning people of various races, but especially uh, black people. The other thing to remember is that disinformation can kind of come from anywhere. So just because your group isn't necessarily being targeted now doesn't mean that it couldn't be targeted in the future. He said one organization he studied is called Internet Research Agency, a private organization that does work for the Russian government. They created a number of social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and other platforms that pretended to be the identities I just mentioned. They pretended to be white conservatives. They pretended to be black left-leaning activists. They pretended to be non-black left-leaning activists. They also pretended to be news organizations. They pretended to be other, other identities. And so, you know, what they did was they basically just posted content and tried to attract attention to what they were talking about. And, you know, in some cases, that content was very obviously political. And Freeland said that often disinformation is spread by groups who want to do political damage. He pointed to conspiracy theories that disproportionately implicate people of certain political parties or ideologies. A lot of this, you know, swirling around, you know, COVID-19. Some of those uh, might be good examples uh, of that or you know, before that, the idea that 
you know, the Mueller investigation was really just a, a scam to get, you know, President Trump, et cetera. Things of this nature could also be considered disinformation sort of spread for the reason of damaging political opponents. Often, disinformation is meant to target people who are more susceptible to believing something they see on the internet due to their own personal beliefs. About a month ago, there was an ad put out by a group called the Lincoln Project, which is a group of uh, Republicans who are opposed to President Trump. And they put out an ad that basically tried to imply that uh, Trump is like really like not doing well health-wise. Like he's sick, right? Like he's, he can't really walk super well. And, you know, he's really like decrepit, falling apart and all of this. And I remember thinking, you know, you know, I'm not a big fan of Trump. I'm, I'm happy to admit that. But when I saw that ad, it just really made me think, wow, somebody's really trying to like hit my anti-Trump section of my brain in a very shameless way. Like not going after what he's done or how dangerous he might be for the country, but really trying to, to do like a low blow here. Freeland said combating misinformation and disinformation is as simple as taking 30 seconds to Google something and check for corroborating information. The other thing you can do is you can think of yourself as kind of like a fact checker for your own, you know, social media community. So you can actually share the content, but say, this is actually false because of this other link that I found, and here's why that's false. And so in other words, you can sort of join in. I mean, I guess sharing this kind of stuff is kind of fun, but you can like join in and have some fun with a purpose because you can actually debunk it and say, wow, this is really ridiculous. Freelon also recommended that people think about the sources they're getting information from. That is something that I would really recommend that college students and really anybody should do is to seek that corroborating evidence. And then also just think about just the sources in general, right? So is this a source that has been known to spread content that is uh, non-factual in nature or that's just ex overly exaggerated in nature, right? And then if they share it or if they're posting it, then it may or may not be true. So you can look for other evidence to see whether it is something you should share or not before accepting the word of an organization that is known to post either false content or content that is hyperbolic or blown out of proportion. So misinformation and disinformation is serious, but how could they impact the election? Freeland said this year he thinks that casting doubt on systems like voting by mail could suppress votes, especially in the Black community. I think it's, you know, something to the effect of, oh, well, you know, don't go vote because you might, well, don't go vote because you might get COVID. I mean, you might get COVID if you step outside your house. So that's not really, or that's not uh, election specific. But, you know, saying that, oh, well, they're, they're doing this or that because of COVID that's happening or these five polling places have been closed because of COVID or whatever. But yes, I absolutely think there's a possibility that these kinds of things could swirl around the election and possibly affect some people, yes. One fact-checking organization aiming to decrease misinformation and disinformation around the election is a group called PolitiFact, which is based from the Pointer Institute. You might know PolitiFact as one of the groups that was conducting a live fact-checking of last Tuesday's presidential debate, but their work centers around fact-checking a lot of election and political content past the debates. I talked to Josie Hollingsworth, PolitiFact's audience engagement editor and a UNC alum, about what tips she has for college students to stay media literate for the upcoming election. I'm Josie Hollingsworth. I work at PolitiFact. I'm the audience engagement editor there. Hollingsworth said that in the 2018 midterm election, the main goal of misinformation and disinformation was to undermine public trust in elections and polling. She said COVID-19 has accentuated this. I think a lot of what we've been seeing with how COVID-19 has affected misinformation is it just gets more people involved. You know, I think that that's like a big thing is like, we know that not all Americans vote and not all Americans are politically engaged. But in the United States, being the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic, everyone is affected by 
this virus and, and its effects. And so whereas PolitiFact was fact-checking a lot of political misinformation that folks who are interested in the election would be sharing, the reality is anyone and everyone should and could be sharing stories and articles, true or fake, about coronavirus because it affects them. She pointed to specific examples of what she thinks election-based misinformation looks like. So I think that would be the, the big effect of COVID-19. I think as we get closer to the election, and I think this probably could have been predicted, is there will be a lot of misinformation about voting when it comes to voting with, you know, masks on or, you know, what? how will this affect voter ID? Like, Will you have to hand your license to someone in North Carolina at a polling place? Is there more contact there? Yeah, I wonder if those systems will, they will have to fundamentally change because of the disease and if there will be misinformation about that. I asked Hollingsworth what tips she has for college students who want to be more media literate. I would say connecting with fact checkers, whether it's through newsletters, whether it's through our Instagram accounts, whether it's through just like checking our websites every now and then is a great idea. She also said that keeping up with local news sources is a good way to stay informed. Reading your local news is essential, especially in the pandemic, especially with local elections coming up, especially with national elections coming up, because local news outlets will tell you about how national policy will affect your local area. And some ways I stay connected is I have like Chrome notifications turned on for the Tampa Bay Times. And then if that's not your thing, like your local newspaper or public radio station probably has a great morning newsletter that just help, helps you understand what might be, you know, a conversation, what might come up on social media that potentially needs some fact checking because those local news organizations do wonderful verification in their stories. And that's a great start to getting informed. Hollingsworth also recommended reading history to understand how events in the past have affected how things are today. She said she recently ordered a book called Fragile Democracy, which is by UNC American Studies professor Jim Leloudis and researcher Robert Korsted about the struggle over race and voting rights in North Carolina. I just want to understand a little deeper about what a lot of history books glance over and that the right to vote is complicated and it's fraught with, and many times, racial injustice. And at this moment, as we're going into the election, conservatives talk about voter fraud that's so widespread that it threatens public trust in elections. And progressives say that fraud is rare and they call for reforms to voter ID. And so anyway, that's a big geek out moment, but I think it really could help to read more about elections and voting and like local histories to better enrich your your media diet, if that makes sense. Ultimately, Hollingsworth said that if you have instincts about something that sounds false, it's a good idea to do some more research into the topic. I think this season of the pandemic, of the election cycle, is PolitiFact has found there is a lot that we don't know, both about a brand new virus, but also about of course, predicting what a pandemic election will look like. And that uncertainty, while uncomfortable, is a huge opportunity for voters to read up and get really knowledgeable and media literate going into the voting cycle. There are three days left to register to vote in North Carolina. There are nine days left until early voting starts. There are 21 days left to request an absentee ballot and there are 28 days left until election day. 
We want you to tell us what to cover this election cycle. Take five minutes to fill out our survey by texting DTH elections to 73224. For more election coverage, visit www.dailytarheel.com slash section slash voting and follow us on Twitter at DTH City State. If you have any questions about voting you'd like us to answer, you can send us an email at city at dailytarheel.com. Tune in next Tuesday to listen to us break down the candidates on the ballot. This episode was produced by Meredith Radford. 